but I don't feel bad in the least. I just sound bad, but that's the way it is. When you get a cold, you know that happens. You, it ling the, the lingering effects. So as we get started this morning, who has a praise report? Tamara has a praise report. I like it when you volunteer people for praise reports. Yes? Awesome. That's great. Praise the Lord. Who else has a praise report? Michael. Okay. Good. What is it? Where are you working? Well, good. Praise God. God's faithful. Mm-hmm. Just blessings, right? That's good. That's good. Anybody else have anything? Okay, but a prayer request now. Doug? Yeah, okay. Yes. Pray for your marriage. And I heard something. George. Okay, your husband. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We know, Lord God, that you are good and that your mercy endures forever, Lord God. And we know, Lord God, that your mercies are new every morning, God. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. We just pray, Lord God, for every need that was mentioned, Lord. I pray for a special anointing for marriage restoration, Lord. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to work in avenues and ways and means, God, that have never been seen before. I pray, Lord God, for the, those spouses to, to jump into a, a love relationship with you, Lord God. I just ask, Lord God, that you would move and that you would thwart every plan of the enemy against your people, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would open our ears to hear, God. Open our eyes to see, Lord God. Let us know, Father, what is the, the width and the height and the depth, Lord God, of your great love for us, God. Let us be assured, God, that you who did not spare your only son, you will also with him freely give us all things, God. Let our faith and our hope and our confidence be rooted completely in you, Lord God, knowing that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we continue today um, our study on wrapped in truth, not warped by lies, I want to um, start out and let's go, well, let's go and look. You can go to 1 Kings 11 and I'll get there in a second. 1 Kings 11. Now, the children of Israel, when they went in to conquer the promised land, there were seven, seven nations that the Bible says that they ran out. Now, how many of you know that whenever you came to Christ, now I'm assuming as I come in here, you're in a 930 life class on a Sunday morning. My assumption is, is that everyone is born again. You know, there are, I have to communicate to my audience, right? Now, if someone were to come in, it's not that they couldn't get born again by listening to this message. But when I'm talking, I am not talking to people who are coming to the cross. I am talking to people who have come through the cross. I'm talking to people who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm, talking to, I'm not trying to get you to get saved again. I want you now to go on into the full measure of the promises of God. 
Now, how many of you believe it's God's will for you to live in victory? Yeah. How many of you believe it's God's will for you to live in abundance? How many of you believe it's God's will for you to live absent of fear? How many believe it's God's will for you to live in total and complete joy? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more than, more than enough. I believe the will of God for his children is such super abundant blessing and joy. I believe that he wants us to be so victorious in every area of our life that when you go to your job, that people come up to you and say, something's different about you. Could you tell me about it? Now, something happened to me many years ago when we lived in Scotland. We had our very first church service in our rented town hall that we shared with the necromancers. True story. They, it was a rented. You rented it. We didn't get to say who could rent or who couldn't rent, right? We rented it for a prayer night, and usually Mike and I were the only ones that showed up, but we felt it was important to pray in the room we preached in. It's just something we, we, we believe in. And then we rented it on, was it Saturdays? I think it was Saturdays, that Saturday evenings, and that's when we had our church service. We did Saturday evenings because we could use other people who had other Sunday obligations. And so, our very first service, we prayed and said, okay, <clears throat> Lord, we need your help. We need a strategy for reaching the people of this area. So, we believe the Lord gave us a, a strategy, and Lainey had taken a picture of Mike in front of a cathedral. All you could see in the background was just kind of a headshot bust up, and then there was a, the spire of the, you know, the steeple that was this old cathedral that was behind him. It was a beautiful picture. So we turned that into a postcard. And on the postcard, we had that picture of him. And on this side, it said, it was said, raised by a drug addict, alcoholic father who committed suicide. And completely transformed by the blood of Jesus and delivered from drugs and alcohol. That's what we did. And we sent out 5,000 of those. 5,000. We knocked doors and did all that, but there's so many high-rise apartments in the area, you can't get in because in Scotland, you have to have, you know, like you see in New York, right? You have to go, and somebody has to let you in. Before, so we couldn't. You had to actually mail them into. So we did this, and we prayed over it, didn't we? we? Remember, we held them. We went to prayer with them. We believed God that they were going to touch people. And so our first service, we had invited, we were, what we were trying to do, we were trying to ensure a crowd. Now, how many of you know that when you're doing a first service, you don't want two people to show up, right? Which you're okay if they do, but it's just, so we were trying to secure a crowd. So we invited every Assembly of God church, we invited everybody in the world, and we did, we had a great crowd. And then we saw people, like, we saw people coming in, and they'd be holding that postcard, and they would come in from the neighborhood. And this one man came in. I remember his sister's name because her name was Lainey. I don't know why I'd remember that. <clears throat> and so as Lainey came in and she introduced herself, and her brother was with her. And he looked like he was probably 60, but he was probably only 30. 
because drugs and alcohol just has that impact. And I, I reached over, and I, you know, I talked to her, and she was more talkative, and <clears throat> you could tell he was just, he was not comfortable. He was doing this. He was waiting in line, and we were trying to get information on people as we were coming in. And I reached over, and I said, I'm so glad you're here. And I stuck out my hand, and when he grabbed my hand, he started immediately bawling. I mean, weeping. He just started going, <gasps> and his sister's looking at him and going, what? And he was going, oh, oh. he was just, I mean, doubled over. He couldn't walk. And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. And the more, you know, I, and, I, and he's just bawling and he's crying and he's coming in. He's, it scared him. It scared him. And he's walking in and he's going, and he's, he's doubling over. And I'm trying to show him to a seat. And I set him and Lainey down together. And she keeps going, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's I've never seen him cry in my life. He's a gang member. And I, keep, and I keep walking, and every time I walk by him, he's still just going, he's doubled over crying. And I think, can you imagine? I didn't preach any gospel to him. The gospel I preached to him was, so good to have you. And just, I, I didn't feel anything, guys. I didn't feel especially powerful. I didn't feel like I had the power of God flowing through me. I wouldn't go, ooh. I didn't blow on him like Benny Hinn. I just shook a broken, destitute man's hand. And I can only assume that the love of God came through me and touched him in a place he had never been touched before. Now that is what I desire for each and every one of you. I, I don't know. Maybe it's too much to ask. But I don't think so. I believe that each and every one of us, and I'm not saying, boy, look at, look at me, wasn't I spiritual? I'm, I'm telling you, I was unaware. I had shaken how many hands? I've got, I got it, but okay, thank you. I know. I had shaken how many hands? But it was his that the Lord said. I don't, and you say, what happened to him? He didn't come to the altar. He bawled the entire time. His sister got saved. She was our very first convert, wasn't she, Mike? From a gang attack. We were in a very rough place. As they said, the Scottish pastors told us, you, God plant, called you here to plant a church where we won't even park our car. And so that's where we were at. They that's where they told us to go. It's because it's like, no one else will go there. Maybe these dumb Americans will. <laughs> we did. So I tell you that this morning because that is my idea of revival. It's not a series of ser services. It is lives so full of the love and the power of God that whenever you make contact with someone, 
some way the word of God and the power of God goes forth from you without even the exchange of words. How many of you would like that? That's all I'm asking for. Now, I do want us to preach the gospel. I do want us to proclaim. I do want us to be the declarers of the good news. Certainly, certainly, certainly. But I would love us to have that with a power that is irresistible. Yes, Tawana. Healed the sick. Paul, they took the aprons from him, it says, and then they passed them out to people who were sick. Now, the aprons, I've learned that the apron, you know when he wore the apron? When he was making tents. It wasn't what he preached in. We had the idea that while he was preaching, he just got so anointed that it was the apron is what he wore when he was making tents. And they would cut the strips off of that and just send it to people. I'm sure that, I mean, come on. We act like God has some diminished power that doesn't work in 2021. <clears throat> that we don't have the right political candidate in office, therefore God can't move until we get a Republican in office. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Come on. We know that God is exceedingly able. He is, a, he is far beyond anything we could ask or think. And I believe that the key to us finding that type of resident power within us and his body living in joy and hope and peace is us combating the lies that we are believing that we don't even know exist in our life. So we see people, this is, this is when you preached, Dennis, to the youth on that Wednesday night, you said something that I loved. I don't, probably didn't quote it just right, but it says people do not decide. They make their choices, but they don't get to decide the effect. It's the consequences. People get to make their choices, but they don't get to make, to decide the consequences. And I thought that is really good. And so I wrote down here, it was with that in mind, it's also I put down people do not get to decide their level of bondage. Hmm. I mean, we make choices, right? But we don't get to decide the level of bondage that will be attached to that choice. So let's look at that just a little bit further because there is a cause and effect, Right? We all know that. So you can make your choices, but you don't get to choose your consequences. What, what, okay, you sow the seed, right? But what determines the harvest? Soil and environment, right? And so how many of us have ever sowed some seeds and prayed for crop failure? Yes. Oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? You knew. You sowed them. You're like, oh, I won't cry. Lord, mercy. I just ask for mercy. Could you rain down Roundup? You know what I'm talking about? And I'm telling you, God is many. I mean, there, there's just mercy. But then there's times in our life where we, we find that that works, that seed sowing works to the positive and it works to the negative, doesn't it? Do you not agree with that? It works to the positive, too. 
that that you we see in the parable of the sower that you sow they sowed seed and what was the what was the optimal harvest 30 60 and 100 fold right and that's good but how many times have we sowed yeah it works to the negative too because you don't get to choose your level of bondage you don't even get to choose your level of harvest Absolutely. Oh, man. If the man, James said if a man could tame his tongue, he would be a perfect man. Perfect not as in morally, you know, without defect, but perfect means whole and healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tawana. That's true. That's absolutely true. And so we, we just need to be conscientious of that because we don't get to choose that. Now, I wrote over here because I thought this was noteworthy. Uh, we, many of us are planted in, well, most of us are. This is a fact, a generational garden. Let me just, we're in a generational garden. Now, a generate, what does that mean? Now, many of us, because I know that generational curses got really popular, I, I teach on generational curses, but I really like to, I really like to de-emphasize the curse part because I think our vernacular with curse has to do with kind of a, a superstitious voodoo thing that you just, just wraps around you and you don't have any control over. You know what I mean? So I try to, I try to kind of inoculate us from that, that verbiage, but there's certainly, there's certainly truth in generational things. So all of us were planted in a generational garden. What generational garden? garden was I planted in? Well, rebellion. My family hated authority and did not ever obey authority. I've told you, our family motto was unspoken, but lived out. If it's illegal, we do it. Yeah. So let's see, do you see what, did I choose that? Did I choose that soil? No. I just planted there. I just planted in that generational garden. Mike, what generational garden were you planted in? Yes, generational garden. Did you choose depression? It just, it was, he's, he was planted in that environment. So there's a generational garden. It's a, and here's the thing with a generational garden. It is a place so normalized that, um, I can't read my writing. Why do I do this? It's a place so normalized that um, another circumstance is unimaginable. It's a generational garden. So you, where you came from, if it's all you know, it's all you know. And then when someone tries to give you another version of a different environment, it seems unimaginable and just like head scratching. How? This is all I know. So, so that's where we're coming from here. And then I also wrote, um, oh, Bible says that curses will endure, do y'all know how long? To the third and the fourth generation, right? So if we could take this curse now and we could put it into this generational garden that many of us came from, right? You just were nurtured in it. You had the right nature because you came from your parents, right? So then you were nurtured in that environment, and then you, you had a hard time even imagining that another environment was normal because that's all you knew. And the Bible says that curses remain to the third and fourth generation. Now, I have in the past looked at that, and, and because I have sometimes a warped 
version of God because I'm in the human race just like you are. And when mankind fell, it warped man's mind about God. God's mind didn't change about you. My mind changed about God. Have you ever suffered from a warped version of who they believed God was? I have many times. And so I read that third and fourth generation, right? I thought, oh, God is just waiting. Generation one, curse remains. Generation two, curse remains. Third and fourth, maybe, maybe not. We'll have to see. And I thought, Lord, Lord, how, how does anybody ever get out of a curse? How, and with that warped mentality, how does anybody ever climb past that? And I feel like the Lord showed me that when I asked him about that third and fourth generation, is the reason that that is specified as third and fourth generation is because that's how many generations exist on the earth together at the same time. Father, child, grandfather, great-grandfather. Third and fourth generation. And so what happens with your progenitors on the ground living it out before you? Speaking the same lies in the creating the same environment in that generational garden that you've been in. All it's doing is creating the culture and the environment where you, it's just, it's just brought in and then you have children and you bring them into that same garden and they're planted there and see that third and fourth, it's reestablished by that. I thought, oh, and that's why, how many of you have found it so hard to break out of generational things? But you know what? There's one who's able. He's so able and he's so mighty. And so what he has come to do is he has come to set us free from every one of those lies. Now I want to ask Mike to come. He's going to give a testimony. Remember we talked about this? <laughs> okay, you're good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm powerful. See that? Well, um, we, we did have a discussion now that I recall. <laughs> Anyway, we, uh, in the midst of COVID and all of the, all of the goings on, we were recovering. Uh, how many husbands in here know that your spouse knows you better than even you know yourself? We were, we were sitting on the couch, and she came in and sat across from me. And, of course, it was between one of, my, one of four naps that I was taking. And so I woke up, and uh, she looked over at me and just read my mail. She said, it seems like for months you have just been in this dark cloud in your mind. She said, you almost seem like you've, you've burned out. And I speak to you, and there's no concentration. There's no response. I'm quiet by nature anyway. But she was literally just reading my mail. And uh, I told her, I said, well, she began to pull out of me. said, what, what is it? What are you listening to? What, do you, what is God speaking to you? And I said, well, that's a problem. I don't think I can hear the Lord. It's almost like God is distant. And I just, she said, well, that's not, that's not the case. The problem is, is you're listening to a lie. What is the lie you're listening to? The lie that I was listening to was the fact that I didn't think God wanted to speak to me. Because, you know, you're COVID. You can, it, it doesn't really matter what you do or what you don't do. Someone is always going to be not in agreement. You come in and you're wanting the power of God to move in a service and you feel the fear when you walk in the room for the people wondering, okay, what if, what if, what if? So many variables in ministry that just flood into your heart. But what uh, a struggle that I've had 
in myself through my childhood forward has been this um, dealing with codependence. Now, codependent, I always thought was that, you know, I depend upon Andrea, and so she's got to take care of me, and so I always look to her for answers or whoever. But that's not codependence. Codependence is whenever you feel the burden that you have to fix everybody and everything around you. Dependence. Um, and so I was raised in an environment, an abusive environment. The garden of environment was codependence. Uh, my mother, manic depressant, bipolar, um, narcissistic, and this is not something I'm making up. It's what her psychologist told me a few years ago, uh, diagnosed her with, said in the person that she manipulates the most are her children, and uh, especially one that she feels that take on the responsibility of whatever it is she was doing. I told you about my father committing suicide, sexually, physically abusive stepfather. So I was pretty well warped when I came into the kingdom, <laughs> warped by lies. And so we sat there at the couch and thank God for, a, for, for a, a woman of God that I've married, my partner in life. But we were sitting there and all of a sudden I realized I'm listening to a lie from my past. God is not angry, he's not distant, he's not in some far off place that he does speak to me. But what I've been listening to, that narrative, was this feeling like I had to fix everything and the feeling that God was distant toward me. And from that moment, there was just a domino effect that happened inside of me. I stopped listening to that. And I started listening to the Lord, and she can probably testify the joy, the peace, the rest. And see, if you fall into those places, I have recognized years ago the codependence. I, I know when it comes on me, there's a flush of fear that rises up in me. If any of you have ever uh, struggled with this, you know what I'm talking about. It's that, it's that nervous, nervous feeling like, you know, i got to fix this, i got to fix this, i got to fix this. And... I would encourage you, recognize that. Take a step back and, and realize and, and confess it to someone you trust and ask them to help you with that. And then from there, begin to change the narrative in your mind. Stop listening to the lie. Ask God to forgive you for listening to the lie. Ask God to forgive you for the, the unforgiveness that you have for the person who taught you the lie, a stepfather, a mother, a circumstance, and then begin to move into truth. And I promise you, the freedom will come. You are not God. I am not God. And, and those lies are there to prevent us from living in the full victory of the truth. And I wrote something down. It must have been the anointing that was flowing from up here. Whenever I stand and I defend my truth, it's not me, I, you know, I can fix this, I can... See, the, the reality is, is that when I take my hardline stance on my truth, then I'm always defending. But the truth of God defends me. You see what I'm saying? The truth of God is my defense. And he takes care of me, he takes care of you. So, anyway, there you go. Yes. Yeah.
Yes. Yes, and that is a good. That's a good word, Deborah. She said, "I think." Good. See, I, you know, I, I like that, and that's what I have learned to identify what you just said in my own life. It's when you get to the what feels like the peak of the battle. You know, what I'm talking about. It, many times it's where people back away. It's at that place where you feel like the you're on the front line. You feel like the battle is raging the hottest right around this territory. What we tend to do is we tend to run and retreat from that place because of fear and intimidation and a lie that we are not victorious there because God can't be trusted. What I have learned is to sense that conflict is actually proof that we are right on the cusp of the greatest victory that we will ever see. So don't let the conflict be a warning to leave. Let the conflict be an in invitation to lean in. I mean, isn't that good? I mean, when we were, when Mike got, you know, his positive COVID diagnosis, and then I was, you know, you know, I'm just, I'm just who I am. I am, if you're coming to me for a super sensitive, touchy-feely type of an experience, you're probably going to be disappointed. Mike remodeled our bathroom while he had COVID. Not because I made him, but because I encouraged him to not get down. We can do this. <laughs> you know, I said, just sit down for a second. You know what I said? I said, it's just sit down for a second. You can take a nap, but just don't give up entirely. <laughs> Absolutely. And then they thought, oh, God doesn't want us here. Oh, man. I just believe. And, and you know, and, and it was during COVID that I had that revelation. I mean, I was just praying for Mike. And the Lord just, he just dropped it in me. Just dropped that in me. And so I just went and I just sat down. Because I am, I'm a confrontational gal. I, I know. <laughs> I just am. And so I'm like, okay, we're fixing to get this thing sorted. Now, what I want to tell you, yes, I, what I want to tell you is this. What God put in me was his love for Mike. He is the person who loves him most on this earth. And he put his love. See, that wasn't just my love. And you know what I was? I wasn't mad at Mike. But I was mad at that stinking, rotten lie. And so in the, in the spirit of Jesus, I sat in my office and I made a cord. You see what I'm saying? I made a cord. And I said, and I knew, I'm going to go in here right now. And I'm fixing to drive the liars out of the temple. And I exhibited my wrath, not at my husband, but at every enemy 
that would try to stop him. Yes. Right. Yes. And see, it's easy to get trapped. And I think that next week we are going to talk about specifically what I think that lie is. It's the lie of abandonment. And so we're going to deal with that lie. And that's what I talked to Mike about. This lie of abandonment. That you're abandoned and the only way to stop from being abandoned is to perform. Do you see what I mean? If I'm goody, if I do good enough, then I will be good enough and I will be accepted. That's not true. Absolutely. That's your garden. That's the garden you were sown in. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. And you, it's amazing how much you carry that forward, don't you? An orphaned spirit. And you think you assign, you assign those qualities to our Father, our Heavenly Father. They're the same thing. And what we'll talk about next week is that we'll also talk about abandonment leads to the, the root, of not, it leads to the um, offshoot of it is control, the illusion of control. Yes, I was right here, I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, if you had something like you're talking about, such uh, you said a panic, an issue when your dad leaves you when you're 13 years old, mm-hmm. and divorces your mom, what? and he was raised in the church when he was a kid. Okay. Right. That whole situation. Sure. But you still are living with it in your heart. Mm-hmm. Because it's, like, it's still there. Present it's with you. Present. Okay. I, I, I think, yes. Well, I think I will address it this way. Is that many of us, we think, we're, we sit, you know, we're like layers, right? There's so many layers. And maturity brings us into so many layers. And different environments stimulate different feelings and things. And we, and as Mike says all the time, I don't even know what's in my heart. 
I don't even know what's in my heart. And so a different environment will come along and it will it'll reinvigorate something that's in your heart. And many people get caught in this little weird cycle like I just keep going through the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and it becomes like you're on a merry-go-round and you're not making any trajectory. But what I have found is that, okay, for instance, Mike has been dealing with this lies his whole life. And so what he always has to constantly do is go, wait, stop, stop, and let's look at this. That voice, it's important for you to say, Holy Spirit, what is the lie I'm listening to? And this is what, I asked Mike to do that. I said, ask the Holy Spirit, what is the lie you're listening to? And you know what? The Holy Spirit wants you out of bondage more than you want out of bondage. He's not like, he's not going, I don't know, I'll give you five guesses. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we act like he's a trickster God, keep your eye on the ball kind of a thing. You know, the little ball under the nutshell. He's not, he's not. I mean, instantly, you know, it was like right there. This is the lie that I have to fix everybody. This is it, you know. And, I, and so the lie was... Right. So the lie was you never measure up. And so the way he tried to fix the feeling of never measuring up, right, is that he had to be all things for all men in a bad way. You know what I mean? Like people will bring, as a pastor, this is not what, he can feel like people bring their dysfunction to him and the codependent says, I've got to normalize your dysfunction. Do you know how hard it is for a person to normalize another person's dysfunction? It's impossible. And the weight. And so pretty soon you live like that and all these weights start to add up. And, and then he, what he, because this is his, his acceptance was attached to his performance. And so if now his acceptance is attached to his performance, what's happening is God is moving further and further from him because God is not approving of him any longer. And all of it's a lie. None of that is truth. It is all a lie. And so he began, he began this process that, and we're sorry we're putting you in the glass. This is terrible. But, but it begins a process of being warped by that lie. And so saying, what is the lie? And replacing it as truth, identifying as a lie and say this, and going, that is not true. But then he had to go one better. And he had to say, who taught me that lie? Because I believe it's like this, that if we can find ourselves like Samson, say, Lord, lead me to the pillars of this lie. You see what I'm talking about? Just God, lead me to the pillars of this lie and the supernatural strength that you have given me. I believe through the power of the shed blood of Jesus and the cross, if I can just get my hands on the foundational support of this lie, I will push it down. And in my death, I will slay more enemies than I ever did in my life. In, my, in the death of that lie being a part of my identity. Now, I kind of got ahead of myself for the scripture I gave you. But Satan does not exist. We do have a real enemy, y'all. 
And Satan does not exist within a vacuum. He's not static or stagnant. His power and influence will migrate and grow worse and worse and more and more, become more and more ingrained in my life. And the bondage will grow tighter and tighter. All of Satan's bondages carry a python spirit. A python spirit. So if you start to get a lie, he can get a lie around you. Just get it there for a while. Then what happens? Constricting. And the bond, see, he doesn't stay static. The bondage grows tighter and tighter. But see, it's just the greatest thing in the world that he doesn't. Because there's what I'm talking about. It's when you feel that pressure. See, many times you can't even identify the lie until you begin to feel the pressure of the lie. At first, the lie feels like a warm, cozy blanket that you kind of cling up in. Insecurity. Nobody likes me. Or the, that's it right there. His was... I can fix this. I'm strong and I'm called of God. But then that, see, Satan doesn't stay static. What, does, what happens? What you thought was a blanket was a python. Because Satan appears as an angel of light. Y'all are too smart for him to come to you and say, hello, my name is Satan and I'd like to put you in bondage. Yes, please do. Look, oh, come here, Deborah. Here, you talk right here. This, okay. There'll be something. The people who are going to listen to this later are going to be like, I guess I better go to class. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what she was saying. She doesn't know what she was saying. Um, basically, uh, when Israel moved into the land and they went back to speaking Hebrew as a spoken language, they always spoke it in the synagogue, but not, not around. They always spoke the common language of the land. And so um, they had to go to the scriptures and find words for things. Well, you know the scripture that says... Um, beware of the little foxes, because they, they'll spoil the vines. Well, they had to find a word for terrorist, right? Well, they took the word for the little foxes. That's the word for terrorist? The terrorists are little foxes. And this is what I used to tell my kids when they were growing up. You know, repent quickly, because sin does not stay small. It grows. Just like you're saying, it's not static. So they look like a little fox. But it's actually a terrorist. Wow. That's good. Now, as we look at this, yes. Yes. Absolutely. 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 But we have a bondage breaking God. I believe, I believe that we are going to get our, our, our minds in a place of repentance. You know what the word repentance means in the Greek? It means, the word is metanoia. It means a change, to change one's mind. 
So if we can begin to see the way God sees and we begin to believe the way God believes about us and we begin to divorce these lies that we're believing and stop allowing the little sins that we, that every weight in sin, I think the author of Hebrews says, it does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance, the race set before us. Here is 1 Kings 11. This is talking about, the, the, the title here is The Decline of Solomon. Isn't that sad? It's just sad, a sad heading. It says, now King Solomon loved so many foreign women besides the daughter of Pharaoh. He loved Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hivites. From the nations of whom Adonai has said to the children of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor they associate with you, for surely they would turn your heart away after their God. Solomon clung to them for love. So he had 700 wives as princesses and 300 concubines, and his, and his women led his heart astray. For it came about as Solomon grew old that his wives led his heart away after other gods so that his heart was no longer wholly devoted to Adonai, his God, unlike the heart of his father David. Isn't that a sad circumstance? Now, I don't imagine any of you are accumulating wives and concubines. But we can, how many of us are straining to see the spiritual significance in it? We see that what we're doing is that we can so often turn our affection to things, the lures, the things that, are, that we are taking, the lies, the lures. But if it wouldn't, why would, you wouldn't take it if it didn't look right? It's a lure that it comes in and when you bring it into yourself and you espouse that lie that says you have to fix it, you can't trust anybody, you're rejected, you're orphaned, and it comes in as if it is serving you. I'll protect you, we'll be good. Come on, just isolate yourself a little bit more. You'll get it figured out. Come on, you'll get it figured out. Don't, no, come on, it's all right. And pretty soon that, that, that your heart begins to turn and you start to believe all kinds of falsities about God. And then you can't really attach that to God because, you know, that just sounds wrong. So you go and you attach it to the next best thing. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your relationships. And you begin to isolate yourself and isolate yourself. That's the first thing I saw about Mike. I know when he is in mental trouble, he becomes more isolated. Inward. Yes. You're a, you're a codependent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like this because it takes the pressure off. I can be sick myself, and then I don't have to cure other people. And what happens is, see, here's the, here's the trick right here, guys. 
anything you allow to serve you, you will serve it. Now, what do I mean by that? See, we allow things to serve us in the, in the upstart because it feels like servant, like this little isolation. All of a sudden, your Sherry's saying, it began to feel really comfortable because the pressure for me to be there to try and repair other people's bad decisions was off. And so there was a little, the lure was, Sherry, just sink into this. Wasn't it? Just hang out here. This has given you peace. You've needed peace for so long. But it was a lie that was pretending and masquerading as a peace giver. It was, she was beginning to turn affection, just like Solomon, to something that was a lie. And what will happen is, is that it will, after a time, require its service back. And you'll be so far in and into such bondage that it takes way more force to get rid of that. It'll become the little fox. It'll become a terrorist. Does this make sense? See, this is what we have to be on guard for. These are what lies do. It's not a lie that's like, you know, it's big. Satan doesn't show up with a big old pitchfork and, and horns and say, you know what, I'm just here to, to destroy you and eat your post and, you know, I'm going to drag off your kids and I'm going to destroy everything about you. If you would, do you have a bedroom that I could shack up in? You go, well, sure, I just love the sound of that. No, we're not that dumb, are we? We believe things, voices, because, and he's worked. Satan has worked to destroy you when you're in your mother's womb. He set generational curses. He put the garden there. Your parents believed it, and they, li- they believed the lies, and when those lies, and it created the environment of lies, and as soon as you came out of the womb, those lies were there to greet you. I'm telling you, God is stronger. God is stronger. He wants to see you completely and wholly delivered from the narrative garbage that the enemy is pumping out of the bowels of hell that is maligning God. It is creating an ideology that God is some distant father who wants to have nothing to do with you. And also, we were, and we're going to leave right now, we were, I have just a minute, enough time to tell you this. We were in Branson this past week, and Doug Clay, who is the Assemblies of God General Superintendent, he said something, and it is, it's, it's actually impacted this church right here. I can't say how, because I'm recording. But it has impacted this church. There, it, the millennial generation is being swept away by the lie of... Calvinistic predestination. I had no idea. I, mean, well, I, I, was, I was shocked, shocked. Reformed theology is what it's called. And now this is what it is. And I thought, what? And Doug Clay said it is so prevalent in the millennials. There's bloggers out there and vloggers, and that's where they get all their data. It, and this, this is just, you know, that's my grandma's religion. I'm now I'm in a blog situation and a vlog, and I listen to this. You know what I mean? And so... I thought on the way home, Mike and I, we looked up, I started, I searched YouTube. Calvinism, Reformed Theology. And this little millennial girl was on there. And she said, guys, my son's asleep. You know, just a little, an eight-minute video. 
I'm a Christian, and I just, I just wanted to give a little testimony about how I came into, how I became a Reformed theologist. I just started thinking, did I even choose God? Did I even choose God? I began to realize that I don't even have free will. And that, and that God chose me. And if I'm so without any ability to choose God that if he hadn't wanted me, he, I wouldn't have even known him. But he chose me. And this is kind of the idea. And as I'm listening to that, I'm going, I told Mike after it was over, I listened to the whole thing. So in other words, presumably you're here because God chose you. But other people, because they're not here, God didn't choose them. I can't live with that. And so I asked Mike, I said, why would this be? Why would this be something that this generation would choose? And we both came to the conclusion, because there's so much pressure and so many problems in this world, so many things that seem unsolvable, that it is just a, it's just a, a letting go to say, you know what, I'm just abdicating entirely of everything, and I'll give up all personal responsibility and just fall into this like a feather mattress that just engulfs me. But then, if you take that all the way through, this is what I told Mike. I said, the problem with that, if God chose you, but not you, I don't know, he might not have chose your kids. You see that? And all of a sudden, this is, this is like one that makes you want to claw your hair out, right? And then, to submit to this, and God is sovereign, and he is sovereign, but not in the way they say, and then all of a sudden, I said, well, if that's the case, Mike, then judgment is going to be a real quick process. Because the only person who needs to be judged under that theology, that belief system, will be God. Because if he's choosing the shalls and the shall nots, and they have no choice, then the only person who needs to give account is God himself. It's no, 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 it's not. It, it's old, but it's, it's, this is, I would call this nouveau reformed theology. It's not in the same, steeped in the same religious practice as the old one was. This is new, liberated, kind of tra-la-la-la. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your gardens. Absolutely. 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 That's why I think it's real important to say, ask the Lord, the pillars of the lie. Who taught me this lie? to really get to the brass tacks of it because otherwise I feel like that it just keeps kind of coming in as a fog where, you, you know, I think you were talking, the brother here was talking about saying it just it seems like the same thing I'm dealing with all the time. You know what I mean? It's like a fog that I can't quite, it's like I can't find that enemy and I just keep trying to figure it out. I saw another hand. 
Yes. Of Calvinism. Right. And Tawana, I saw the fruit of that in Scotland, which is Calvinistic society. Um, that when we got there, the churches were entirely closed with a few scant dying people in there. With no young people whatsoever. And at 11 o'clock, they locked a gigantic, if you've ever been to Scotland, the churches have these gigantic wooden doors that are this thick locked when they started the service because their belief was everybody who needs to be here is already here and there was a pastor he invited us in we went in this really rough place and there's these cathedrals all over the place all over the place and there's empty as you could imagine empty just vacated if there's some still holding on others have been converted to all kinds of things and so we went to this pastor in the area we were planning a church. He invited us over. He got wind that we were there, missionaries from America. He was not happy. He was a minister. It was kind of a slam against him that we felt like we had to come there and start a church. So he invited, in a very Scottish fashion, they're very hospitable, loved the Scots. He invited us to his home. We sat in there and he served us tea and biscuits. And we, you know, all the cordial things. And he said, he leaned over and he said, okay, tell me with his Scottish brogue, why are you here? Do we need you? Do we, a Christian nation, need missionaries? You know what I said? Because how many of you know, I'm Andrea. I've always been Andrea. God made me the way he wants me. I, I just, I just a, you know, straight shooter. I like to call a spade a spade. And so I leaned into him. If he's taking on this posture, I figure, I figure in respect to him, I'm going to put it right back like he's given it. I leaned into him and I said, well, sir, respectfully, you pastor two churches, don't you? Yes. Oh, I. I said, and in both of those churches, they are only a mile from each other, right? Oh, I. And you have, you pastor one congregation on one Sunday and skip a week with that con congregation and pastor another congregation on another week. I said, can I ask you, why don't you blend those two congregations? Oh, they would never. They would never. They believe that's their building, and that's their building. And I said, there's a couple of things I notice here. You're one pastor, and you're aged. I'm not meaning to say it, but I don't think that, I, I think you know you're an old man. And you're still pastoring two churches because there's no one to take your place as a minister. And each one of those churches, how many are in the congregation? Ten. Ten. And I just pointed that out to him. And I said, and I don't imagine there's any young people in those churches, are there? He said, no. He was a sweet man. He said, I welcome you, and I will pray for you. See, that is what we're combating against. And that is what believing lies leads to. Total and utter deprivation. 
where no longer do we actually know a God who cares and is passionate about people. And he's most, he is passionate about you. And he does not want you living in the bondage of lies and being warped by them and believing that he is a God other than the God that Christ reveals. Because he wants to see us not just free, but so freaking free, that we are made free. He doesn't just want to tear the bondage out of us. He wants to remove the bars entirely so that our freedom is so obvious to others that we become the testimony of grace that says, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. I mean, that I'm so transformed. I look in the mirror and get confused about who I'm looking at because Look what God has done. He has liberated me. He took me out of that generational garden and he put me in his family. I'm adopted. I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And there's no lying devil in hell that is going to convince me that I am anything other than blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Isn't that good? We're going to talk about a lie next week, so we'll get there. Y'all are dismissed. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell him Andrew it hurt me. He'll know where it came from. He'll know. If you use an adjective like stinking, he'll know. That's all right. Well, that's how I talk at home. That's right. <laughs> Cindy, I love that shirt. Thank you. Cute. I told her. I thought I liked it. That, I know. I, that's super duper cute. Like that. I know. I like it. Awkward.